0: Welcome to the Truth CS:GO Podcast, Episode 80. Today we're talking the Berlin style at a champion stage, Rostermania Part One, and the Milwaukee Protocol. Hey guys, this is Lectro. Hey guys, I'm Guardian. This is Dabs. This is Nico. This is Nifty. This is Chris J. This is Fair. Good Zero. This is Kerrigan, Are you listening to truth. The truth. The, truth? the truth. the truth. The truth. The truth. The Truth CS:GO Podcast. The Truth CS:GO Podcast. The Truth CS:GO Podcast.
1: Are we rushing in? Or are we going sneaky, peaky like?
0: Uh, So, before we get started, there are a few little things to say, um, mainly thanks to the patrons. We now have four patrons of the podcast, and you guys are currently paying for the server costs, plus a little bit. Now, there is an intention in my mind to make some content specifically just for you guys. I think the best way to do it might be um, to set up a little question page where you can make suggestions for any episodes, um, or for these sort of exclusive episodes. Uh, but if not, if you don't have any suggestions, that's fine. I think I'll come up with something uh, anyway. And of course, there should be some tiers coming soon. And one of the tiers is going to be perhaps out of the reach of this podcast. I don't know if we're popular enough, really, to hit enough to pay a news editor. Um So I'm going to have to do a little bit more brainstorming, but in the meantime, if you have any ideas for tiers we can hit for funding to encourage more people to donate to the Patreon account, let me know. Okay, so we had the Berlin Style at a champion stage the uh, final week, and it was won, the whole thing was won by Astralis, and they won their fourth major and their third consecutive major in a row, which basically makes them kings of the world. But let's go back through some of the matches because this is where the major gets really juicy. And this was actually the juiciest major for a long time. I think since Boston, uh, we had some incredible semifinals. We had some incredible group stages. Uh, let's go through them one by one. Renegades versus Ents. Now, Renegades obviously came a lot further than we were expecting. They regained some of the uh, form that they had. At London, and I think this really puts paid to the notion that they were simply a team coasting on the org meta, because they had the strats, they had the aim. For goodness' sakes, they had the aim; it was incredible, uh, and they had the cohesion. Uh, now we had Mirage and Nuke, and Renegades managed to blast ants out of the water here. Uh, Mirage was particularly notable, and especially if you are a fan of metas for a boost, mid-boost meta. One of the strategies that Renegades really, really abused against Ence here was boosting Azor into window. And I think there was one round where he was boosted into window before 1 minute 30 was up. If you didn't manage to catch this match, this is definitely a really fun one to watch. And Nuke... I wasn't as uh, confident with uh, uh, Renegades' chances on Nuke, but they did manage to crush Ents here as well. Their aim was crisp. The game plan just looked like they were running rings around Ents. Uh, and luckily, it didn't get to a third map because the third map was going to be Dust 2, and I think Ents are probably the better team uh, than Renegades on Dust 2. Uh, so this was, this was probably not only surprisingly amazing showing from Renegades, but also probably... Uh, well, definitely the ceiling for the Goodwill that buoyed this particular team. The Goodwill uh, obviously perhaps had run out between Alexi B and the rest of the team here. Now, the next uh, group stage we had was a Vanguard versus Vitality. Now, this one I actually picked. I did feel like a Vanguard was on the upswing and Vitality were on the downswing. Uh, we went over three maps Mirage, Inferno, and Dust 2. And Mirage, uh, this was just a masterclass from Avangar. They outplayed Vitality completely. Jame looked incredible and was really well set up by the team. In Inferno, uh, there were some beautiful moments of teamwork from Avangar, mm-hmm. even though Vitality proved to be better at punishing mistakes in the end. Um, and one of the things I noted down was that Adren looked like the calm monster from PGL when he won uh, the major there and was the MVP. Um, but I think in both this game and the first, Zaiwu looked kind of out-positioned, and not necessarily because Avangar uh, had anti strat specifically him, but more like Vitality's star was putting him in some very awkward positions. So I don't think this team... something was kind of out of joint, you know, when you've got like a, a, something that maybe feels a bit dislocated in your body... Uh, and perhaps that was reflected in what we'll come to in the roster change that Vitality has undergone since. Um, But the third map, Dust2, was a revelation uh, for an Avangar fan because Buster was absolutely incredible this series. Kickert was good, as he was the whole series, in fact. Um, And Zywi missed some really easy shots. I think, uh, well, I've seen that a lot from him, but I think he's got a little bit of that Draken window where however he's configured the sensitivity of his mouse it can become very hard to shoot shots that would look quite easy and easier to shoot shots that would look quite difficult i've noticed it myself when i changed sensitivity recently that uh i sometimes whiff the most easy shots and really smash the the um, flickier ones and i think that comes down to the fact that if you have a low sensitivity you're used to using twitchy movements in your hand. And so often if your cursor is perhaps already on someone who may not even be moving fast, your instinct is to twitch your hand, which of course makes you miss what looks like an easy shot. Um, now, I think the best part about this from a viewer's perspective was that a Vanguard Red Vitality CT defense so well. And this is despite one of the best pistol aces from Zywoo, uh in the second half. And I think that was his third, second or third pistol half, a pistol ace. Uh, This major, so he's not slowing down, but a Vanguard definitely, uh, yeah, really kept that upswing going here, which was so much fun to watch. Then we had NRG versus Navi. NRG took this 16 12, 19 7, Dust 2 and Mirage. I wasn't able to watch this match, but I think it was clear that to the previous matches that I watched with Navi here, Simple just wasn't simple this tournament. He wasn't dominating in the same way he has in the past, and Dust 2. Uh, He was actually the second bottom fragger, just only one frag above Zeus with a 0.88 rating. So I don't know how much this says about Na'Vi, probably quite a fair bit. And we'll talk about their roster changes uh, coming up. But Cirque and Tarek went totally ham here and continued NRG's upswing as well. I had picked them to win this major, but that was on the supposition... And it was a risky one, no doubt, that Astralis wouldn't uh, wouldn't have actually regained their form, motivation and training. Uh, I was subsequently proven wrong. We'll get to that in a second. But Astralis then played Liquid in the final group stage. And this was on vertigo and overpass and they beat them 16-8 and 16-13. And while those scores may seem close, this was not a close game. This was a blowout. This brought back all the memories... That haunt fans of NA Counter-Strike uh, and had been all of last year where Australis faced Liquid in Grand Finals and just blew them out of the water. Uh, these guys were really badly outclassed and it became clear here just how much Liquid um, in gaining the number one spot had kind of coasted on a wave of confidence that coincided, I think, with a drop-off in motivation for Australis and some of the roster confusion in the other teams... Um, uh, the, and the, I'm talking really about the beginning of the year, uh, but Australis's tactics and team play and innovation here and probably confidence um, just really made Liquid look like a, a kind of a puggy team, which is generally how they were made to look um, back last year when Australia's beat them in so many grand finals because they never had all those other solid parts. And I think it's very constructive to think about the way they were critiqued by the analysts in their period of dom- dominance. And I don't think they have a period of dom- dominance right now. Uh, and you know, I dislike the term eras here, but whatever era Team Liquid had is, is gone, smashed out of the water, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but anyway, uh, constructive to think about the way they were categorized during that period of dom- dominance. And that was primarily centered around their uh, individual skill, and some of the people, uh, analysts and casters in the scene love to talk about how this was the most skilled North American lineup ever. Um, and, you know, twists and a and nitro and, um, NAF were like this incredible core of fraggers, uh, and they never really talked about how uh, Liquid were pulling out the most amazing strats or the uh, most incredible <coughs> innovations in utility usage because they weren't. Uh, and when Astralis comes back to doing that, combining it with their incredible individual skill, this is what happens. Uh, so last year, I also said to you know, the other teams, <clears throat> not that I assumed anyone was listening, but hypothetically, uh, what are you doing? Get your shit together because Astralis was by far and away so much better than the rest of the uh, competition. And all I could see that was happening to compensate for that were organizations trying to find the right combinations of players, um, mostly aim stars, who would help them sort of try and compete in a a fluky way. Now Liquid have been the best team to do that. And I'm not saying they don't have any strats or cohesion uh, or innovation or anything like that. But compared to the way Australis are obviously practicing, they they still can't compete. Uh, now, we the final group stage we had was... Oh, no, one last thing to say about this, actually, because the second map here was Overpass. And in an interview with Zonic, uh, he did mention that part of the learning experience for them was a map that I've banged on about on this podcast several times. And that's when they played SK at the PGL Krakow Major in 2017. What became clear in that map was how hard they had prepared for SK because every single play SK had Astralis anti stratted them um, within 10 seconds of the round starting or at least it felt like that Um, and even though they managed to beat SK there they fell immediately after because they hadn't really prepared beyond that Uh, Sonic brought this up in one of the interviews I think it was Sonic Um, anyway one of the interviews at Berlin here mentioned how That was not their game plan this time. The game plan was to purely focus on how good they could be. Um, And I think that really showed, especially when you look at the way this overpass played out and the way the 2017 overpass played out that was completely reactive here. Um, And this one, which was not simply them playing their own game, but them playing a fluid enough game that every time they had an opportunity, they had a play that they could do. And every time Liquid tried to... Um, punish them or attack them, they were ready enough to punish them uh, in the most statistically kind of uh, safe way. Um, Anyway, the final thing I should say about this match was that Majisk is very definitely the king of overpass. He was the king of overpass uh, in the first few weeks of joining the Australis lineup and he has definitely returned to form. He was a top fragger here. I think if you are a MM player and you want to focus on learning... How to play a map? Magisk is probably one of the best people you could watch in terms of his POV, because he's not necessarily playing in the dyads in this in this uh, in this team right now, especially on Overpass, especially on the CT side. He's often the rotator. He's often playing short. He's often um, coming up to CT first if the uh, call has been made. So I would check out his POVs if you can. Now, the last group stage match was Renegades versus Avenger. Um, no, that's not true. Is that true? No, that was the last group stage match, trials versus Liquids. And then we went to the semis. We had Renegades versus Avangar. This was... I didn't have a good feeling about this one. I had a feeling that uh, Avangar were going to win it and they ended up doing it. Uh, Mirage was the first map. This was pretty back and forth and actually felt quite equal. The two teams were kind of reading each other and surprising each other and over, over and over again. Buster was once again the standout here. Although it should be mentioned that JKS was a consistent monster, the way his team has now risen up um, has it's it's lifted his profile massively in his performance. There were some key mistakes here from Renegades, and perhaps this is less about, um, or perhaps this is about being able to deal with the pressure less, because it was really when it got into overtime this match uh, where Avangar made a whole lot less mistakes than them and managed to close it out 22-19. Second map was Dust2 I didn't think Renegades were as I said with the Ents, uh in the Ents matchup, Ents are a better Dust2 team and I think here it was shown that Renegades aren't really that great a Dust team at the moment uh, because this was a very one-sided game and Evangar just had a far superior Dust2. I think the the puzzle or the clue to the puzzle in um, Renegade's Dust 2 is that gratisfaction is not being used in the best place. I don't think he's potentially the best mid-awper. I think he should be used on site. <coughs> and he was definitely either anti stratted heavily or out-positioned completely in this uh, version of their Dust 2. Anyway, that was a shame to see the boys out, uh, although incredible that they got this far. This is the furthest they'd gotten. This is apparently the first time <coughs> any Australian players in the history of not only CSGO but all the way back to 1.6 have ever made the finals of a major tournament or the uh, semis. And of course, the first time a New Zealander even made the uh, champion stage. So that's pretty damn awesome. And uh, as an Aussie, <coughs> my heart swelled with pride. The second semi final was NRG versus Australis. At the beginning, of this champion stage, I probably would have given this victory to NRG. But as I said, that was a coin toss because who knows how far Australis had come in their preps. Their games leading up to this champion stage weren't that indicative of how far they'd risen back to their state. And I think their confidence rose as well back to where it was kind of 2018 levels by this point where NRG really had (laughs) no chance whatsoever. Uh, And this was definitely one of the most exciting... Uh, matches. If you haven't seen this, I actually think you should probably watch it. In fact, I would watch this one perhaps over the <coughs> uh, major final because this is definitely NRG peaking, um, and that's a peak that we really haven't seen. Um, for I don't know when was the what was the best performance with the Daps lineup? <sighs> Maybe. Maybe I am Dallas last year or something. Uh, so that was exciting to see if you're an NA fan. But this was a train and an overpass uh, match. A matchup. It was a 2 0 victory. But actually, it was closer than, I think, the Australis Liquid. Uh, I won't spoil any of it. If you saw it, then you know it. If you didn't see it, I reckon check out the VODs on YouTube. That brings us to the grand final. And that was, of course, with a Vanguard versus uh, Astralis. <laughs> which not many people saw coming. I actually saw a grand final between Avangar and NRG, but as I said, that was kind of a coin toss with whether it'd be NRG or Astralis. Uh, now, this was an absolute wipeout. Unfortunately, Avangar, <coughs> as lucky as their run had been, or as amazing as their run had been, had, had been, I should say, they also got fairly lucky to get as far as they did, considering the disparity between them and Astralis. But then again, that's kind of always how it looked Uh, to be honest, in the runs of dominance that Astralis had last year. Uh, And these guys were absolutely shut down. Astralis beat them in a very convincing fashion on Inferno, which was 16-6, and Dust 2, which was 16-5. So they didn't really even get a chance to show kind of too much of what they were made of because Astralis just not only had their number, but were firing on all of those cylinders uh, and I think I never really felt like they got a grip on either of the maps, um, and any openings that they got just seemed like kind of desperate, very lucky moments, um, flashes in the pan. Now, device got the MVP of this tournament, um, and to be honest with you, this is how I feel about it. We'll talk about how I feel about it, and we'll talk about some crazy stats of this um, major overall. <clears throat> I'm very excited. I If I'd had... Any sort of uh, knowledge about how Astralis had been practicing, I, I probably would have picked them to go to the Vic, to go to the, 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 the to, to lift the trophy uh, because they still were so far and above the rest of the competition and the number two liquid um, when they dropped off la- uh, at the beginning of this year that I just don't see if they put back in the kind of effort they were how anyone has come even nearly as close to replicating what they were doing. I actually think, um, as I think I mentioned back at face at Major London, renegades have come the closest to implementing the sort of uh, innovation that um, Australis has. We've also heard rumors that they have been doing similar sorts of approaches to holistic practices. Uh, if they can keep building on their confidence. And I think they've just obviously given themselves a massive jab of adrenaline uh, in the arm. Renegades, I think, are going to be rising in the rankings in the coming tournaments. Um, so as, as an Australis fan, as a fan, as every, everything they do, pretty much, uh, this is awesome. Uh, the only people I would have loved to see the major win over them is probably Renegades. So it's cool. Uh, and as for, as for people complaining about it being boring, I was glad that the match was short because it was 4 a.m. by the time it finished and I had to work the next day. Uh, so <laughs> I'm kind of happy with that. And like I said, we got some amazing uh, semis and some amazing group stages, which, to be honest, we haven't really had in the last major Um including the Domination of the Grand Final. So at least this time, I think we got a really great run of upsets. And of course, the underdog story of Avangar, which to me was kind of more out of the blue than the underdog story of Entz uh, last year, because, or in, um, you know earlier this year, because Avangar really didn't ha- weren't on the, the Ascendants before this tournament in the same way Entz were at all. So that's awesome. Uh, now, one of the interesting things about this, and I'll just sprink- sprinkle a few of these in, Jame actually had, and the cast has mentioned this before the grand final, Jame, the Orper on Evangar, actually had the all-time fourth in entry jewel percentages um, on HLTV. So that means he wins... Oh, was this... Maybe this was... Oh, I write these stats down without the full information, but I'm pretty sure this was at the whole tournament. He had... No, this was at all majors. Sorry, this was at all majors. He had the all-time... Uh, fourth all time in entry duel percentages, so he won his entries, um, you know, more often than not. Or he was the, f- I you know what I'm trying to say, don't you? I think you do. He was the f- the fourth highest ranked person to win entry jewels. That's it. But he also had the lowest deaths ever recorded at a major ever. So that's some crazy, crazy statistic. The guy manages to save more than anyone else or stay alive more than anyone else, but also was one of the highest percentage in entry you winners. Uh, okay, I think I've got it out. Um, what else do we have here? Astralis, uh, in the last three major playoffs, are 18 to 0 in terms of 18 maps won, 0 maps lost. But also, they haven't lost any more than 15 rounds in any of those grand finals, which means the opposing teams weren't able to collect enough rounds to win one map over the course of two maps. So, Na'Vi, in their... Uh, what, was their what was that one? That was Katowice? Or, that was London, I think. Na'Vi took 15 rounds. In uh, Katowice, Enz took 15 rounds. And here, Avanga only took 11 rounds. This is three back-to-back absolute stompings. This is why I think even on their off day, uh, and even if they slump now for the rest of the year, if they put in practice again, they've got such a foundation to build on of this sort of domination, they're still going to be a force to reckon with. Now, one of the other interesting things was about Na'Vi, and if you recall, I did say that Simple wasn't really putting in the monster numbers that we expected. One of the statistics that was mentioned by a helpful Redditor was that Electronic has been the top-rated player at two of the last three majors, but lost out to Device both times for MVP. So apparently he was the top-rated here as well, which is kind of crazy, considering the fact that Simple is always the one who's called out on that team for being the absolute god. Um, And this guy is doing his best, and yet um, not really getting the praise he perhaps deserves. Uh, So the other final little stat I'll talk about here is back to the Renegades, and that's JKM. JKM actually over the course of this major had 58 entry kills. That is a major record. So pretty amazing that he has found such incredible form uh, after a period of time where he seemed like he was kind of off the off the radar for a bit. So that's all that I've got to say about the major really. I thought it was actually a very well done production. I love the stage. Uh, I wasn't so keen on some of the content. But overall... Um, yeah, I think Sally did a great job.
1: All right,
0: let's talk about some rosters. Now, I mentioned that this was Roster Mania Part 1 because I'm sure by the time this podcast is out, there's going to be several other changes. First and foremost, Na'Vi, I am basically <clears throat> the oracle uh, because during the major, I think it was at the beginning of it, I tweeted out saying i think guardian is going to navi and this was not let's be honest this was not my uh insider knowledge or my sources this is pure logic and the reason is uh or is it logic or is intuition basically we know guardian's been fairly fatalistic about his career we've got recorded a few instances where he said FaZe was going to be his last team he just wanted to retire, uh, win a major and retire. When it's appeared now that FaZe has not been, is not and is not any anytime soon, in fact, going to be the team that's going to win him a major, he's been looking for an exit. That was confirmed when we saw, well, not confirmed necessarily, but the rumors of that were definitely fueled when he was seen practicing. Oh, sorry, FaZe was seen practicing without him. Where else would Guardian go right now to... Roll the dice on another international roster uh, would be crazy because FaZe are still the best international roster. Therefore, he has to go back to a CIS team. What of the CIS team is close to Na'Vi right now. You could argue that a Vanguard, uh, are better than Na'Vi right now. That's not the case. Na'Vi, obviously, we're having some turmoils because Zeus had said he was going to retire. So, obviously, he's going to go back to Na'Vi. Now, the reasons for him quitting in the first place were... <laughs> There were a lot of rumors, but partly it was because... uh, I'm not sure whether this was confirmed or not, but the prevailing reason in my memory was that him and Simple didn't really get on, uh, especially because Guardian being a full-time AWP meant that Simple had less access to the AWP back then. Now, things have changed, obviously. Uh, Zeus is going out, so that's another roster change we need to talk about. Um, And Simple is definitely not the kid... The uh, fairly difficult kid who he was back then um, and the obviously the massive ego uh, that he had back then is somewhat uh, dampened. I think perhaps some of the achievements that Guardian has had in the meantime as well since he left Na'Vi, which in some ways to me feels like a lot more than Simple has had, even though he's been lauded as the best player in the world, Phase have won a whole lot more trophies than Na'Vi, That's surely got to have done something for the respect Simple has for Guardian. Uh, I think this is probably a winning combination um, for Na'Vi, especially considering the way the meta's going with two AWPers. Um, and simple simple going back to primarily, primarily rifling doesn't really mean that he's any less dangerous because we know how good he is at that. So that also leads me to the fact that Zeus has announced his retirement. He was going to wait until the end of the year, but obviously he wasn't feeling it at the major. He said in a little video statement. So he's going out uh, prematurely. He's going to be focusing on his own uh, sort of competition academy team finding untapped talent and probably trying to make some money off the back of them. Uh, Kane is also leaving with him, so it, that's I guess that became pretty clear that he was just a sort of attachment to Zeus. Um, although, you know, regardless of what he did, the two were very much a package. So they're, uh, they're going to be in the uh, market for a coach. I think the, the IGL is obviously going to be Boomich. Uh, it was no real uh, surprise that he was being groomed for that when he came in. People have been talking about them trying to get um, Blade as a coach. I'm not sure whether that's the best bet, um, but who knows. Now, FaZe obviously now have lost Guardian, uh, and Neo has been confirmed as exiting as well. So the screenshot that was seen with them practicing without Neo and Guardian had Coldzera and Brokey practicing in them in with them. Uh, that's surprising to me. I actually didn't think FaZe were going to pay Coldzera's buyout. One possibility is that Coldzera's paid some of his own buyout. That is uh, something that people have known to be done, sports stars have known to do, entertainment artists have known to do. If they particularly want to free themselves quite quickly and they have got got some spare cash and they value their career more than perhaps monetary uh, benefits of it, then they'll um, pay some of their own buyout. And this may have been an incentive for FaZe to bring him in for the transfer. Now, Broki, if you're not aware of him, he's an 18-year-old Latvian. He's uh, from the team formerly known as Epsilon. If you recall, those guys disbanded uh, when Epsilon decided to dump them about a month ago now. His name is Helvish Salkans I don't know how to pronounce it, but he's got a 1.17 rating currently on HLTV. Uh, and his last three games, which were admittedly against fairly low tier competition, he has top fragged across the server with ratings of 1.28, 1.37 and 1.92. Now, the exciting thing about this guy is that he is an AWPer, uh, and he is young, and as we've seen in the teams such as Ents. Uh, and in fact, vanguard too. The mixture of young and old seems to be a little bit of the tournament, um, sorry, the team meta right now uh, because you have all the benefits of the experienced players with the enthusiasm and raw aim of the young guys. So this is maybe you know a good move for FaZe. They're mixing things up a bit. It'll definitely be a different feel to FaZe, which has kind of felt like a Hall of Champions now for about a year and a half. And hopefully, he will give some hunger back, especially to players like Nico. Nico severely underperformed at this major. I think he was one of the worst performing players at the major, uh, or at least by his own standards, it was definitely the major he's performed at the worst. So hopefully, that'll be a good thing for those guys. If, in fact, these changes actually come for a lot of people are asking for uh, Alexi B to go to phase, I'm not sure whether that's the actual uh, solution here. Uh, There is definitely a... (laughs) The question of who's going to be IGLing with this team, uh, it's definitely not going to be Brokey. It could be that Nico goes back to calling, but I don't know. Um, That makes me feel queasy. Fnatic have gone back to the old well of players and are bringing back Flusher and Golden. So they're going to be Flusher, Golden, JW, Crims, and um, um, Brolin. (laughs) Who did they have before? Who did they have when they won um, Katowice? I think it was Lecro. Uh, so this is... I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, I think I've mentioned this podcast before. You break up with someone, you get back with them. It always feels like there's a ticking time bomb. Not that I've ever actually done that, but when I've seen other people do it, it's like, when are you guys going to realize that this was not the right thing to do? We've seen it with MIBR. It's possible that the dynamics in this team have changed somewhat. What's crazy is that Golden has been in such a weird wilderness for so long, um, and they did they did remove him once upon a time, and only one and only won those two back to back titles, Katowice and WSG, when it was obvious that he was on the way, on the way out. You know that announced it and everything. So unless they can somehow go back to that feeling of not giving a fuck or something or whatever it was that led to them winning those tournaments. I don't see how this is going to work because it didn't work after those tournaments and it wasn't working before that. So this is to me is kind of crazy Uh, and the fact that Flush is going back to a team where he was feeling toxic at the time seems to be quite weird. Although, you know, if if all it was was people being unhappy with themselves then perhaps things have changed and perhaps the time he's had off um, and the time Golden has had apart from them and the time JW has had to think about what they brought to the team. Who knows? Maybe the shift of mentality is all it takes. Now Vitality... Uh, perhaps because of the troubles they had the Major. Although, you know, group stages is not too bad, but obviously not what they were expecting for themselves. They've benched NBK. Uh, NBK didn't seem too happy about it. He was, of course, uh, touted as one of the people who built this roster. He was brought on originally by the Vitality owners and helped to assemble the team. And it appears that, uh, well... There just wasn't room for two IGLs. Now, this is not really a huge surprise to me because it became evident about two months ago, a month and a half ago, that in fact it was Alex doing a lot of the post-match interviews. And I think NBK having a very healthy ego would necessarily be wanting to uh, do those interviews had he felt like he was in control of the team and what happened. That, to me, said that he didn't really have proper ownership of, of the victories um, and that perhaps Alex was taking the reins a lot more than it seemed like on the outside. So he was seemingly quite furious. These guys have been rumored to be looking at Shox or Kiyoshima as replacements. Um, I think it'd be a shame for G2 to lose Shox, although they are the ones who are trying to get rid of him as well, apparently. Shox Lucky, uh, But Shox was, I thought, performing quite well. Uh, if you recall, I said he was on the upswing maybe a month and a half ago, but that you know what? That could have been down to the fact that his... Um, management there Carlos or whoever was in charge of that roster said to him look if something doesn't happen I'm just going to say you're going to be on the chopping block uh, G2 did disappoint this major they weren't playing as well as they were leading up to it um, I don't think shocks was the problem here but he was the first on the chopping block together with Lucky uh, is he the answer to Vitality um, and MBK I don't know I think I'd probably get um, Kiyoshima over Shocks, perhaps because he's so solid uh, and shocks seems to be a bit up and down. But I'm not, I'm not enough of an expert on the French scene to know exactly how those personalities would work together. Now, back to uh, something I'm a little bit better versed on, and that's the Australian scene. And as reported or as guessed, I guess, last episode or the episode before, Greyhound have decided to replace who whose visa ran out, uh, with Inns. Joshua Potter, the top fragger over at Order, which we predicted when he was removed or left to Order maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago. That's a great pickup for them. A little bit more firepower is not a bad thing on that team. Urkast has also fulfilled the rumours and has made his own team. They're called August. They've all moved to China and he's doing it with four other Mongolians: Dobu, Kabal, Zulkenberg, and News. Uh, one or two of those names you would recognize from uh, the the Mongols. Now, Hellraisers have given up their whole team, and that's including LMBT, the coach. They've benched the entire roster. I'm not sure we spoke about this last week. Maybe we spoke about the fact that surely this team wouldn't do anything but disband <laughs> because they have actually followed through, and all of them are now on the market. Uh, Oscar is, I think, the most valuable free agent here. There are, of course, Angel, Lowell, Oscar Issa, Nucky, and Hobbit. I think someone mentioned that Issa was perhaps being considered on phase. Uh, sorry, on mouse Sports. And there was a, a tweet from Rops maybe a few days ago saying, "Expect the unexpected." Which I don't know. Like, come on, like I don't know. The, the, the baiting's obviously fun for the person doing it, but it's just annoying for people like me who are trying to keep track of what's going on. Uh, there was, so the, I guess there was a little bit of a murmuring as to whether Issa would replace him and join his former teammate Woxsic. But I don't know where Rops would go. Why would he leave boards? They're just on the ascendance. Uh, Hobbit is also part of that team, of course. He's on the transfer list still. But there's a whole lot of uh, free agents there and a huge amount of talent to go around. Speaking of talent, Edward is out of Winstrike. Edward had a few months trialing with them as their um, IGL. He's now back to Na'Vi, although he's not playing in the team that just hadn't bought him out he was just on loan that was a failed experiment WindStrike didn't do much and they bombed out of the minors i don't know where edward could go now i'm sure he's got experience to give i don't think the igling was the right thing for him um but who knows maybe he great gained enough experience at WindStrike that he is ready to igl someone else no chance we talked about them as having the worst name in the history of esports well luckily for them they're now bought by smash Uh, Smash is a new esports organization and it's started up by Dimitri Vegas and Like Mike. These guys are Belgian DJs. I'd kind of heard of them, but I had to refresh my knowledge. They're kind of like those uh, DJs who play Tomorrowland, uh, those sort of large European festivals. Back in 2007, when Electro was exploding, I would have looked at them, or people like myself who were in the scene back then would have looked at them and gone, kind of clowns. But they managed to uh, to ride the EDM wave into what appears to be Million Dollar Fortune. So all the best to them. Uh, And that's great that No Chance actually have some sponsors this time. And I assume are now called Smash, which is uh, a vast improvement on No Chance. So I'm glad they took my advice. Uh, now, I should have mentioned this when we were talking about Greyhound, because I, I didn't mention it, um, and it did happen a couple of weeks ago, but Neil M. is out of Greyhound. Now, one of the things I questioned about Neil M. during the major was how much he was actually rooting for Greyhound. Well, I was insinuating this, how much he was rooting for Greyhound and how much he was rooting for Crazy, because it seemed like he did spend a disproportionate amount of his time, at least the visible time, on Twitter uh, and interviewing, I think it was Nexa, post-match. Um, being interested in Crazy and what they're up to, who, of course, are his former teammates, as opposed to actually <laughs> being involved in the daily uh, runnings of Greyhound, all of which is speculation and based on his Twitter activity. So take it with a grain of salt. But anyway, something must have been going wrong because he's out of Greyhound. I don't, I don't know who they're actually going to be getting as a coach in the future, and I don't know where he would go, but kind of interesting. I should, I should mention as well, I, I did feel a little guilty about calling him out for some of his behavior on Twitter not that I was really calling him out but just questioning it because his interview with um, Nexa was fantastic and his enthusiasm behind the the desks uh, so the players uh, chairs have have just been awesome so I think he's a wonderful addition to the scene and if there's a team perhaps that's feeling a little low he's probably the guy to get now let's wrap up this roster news with a bit of a chat about who is still free because it's an incredible list that's been published on HLTV and we should just mention it. I don't know whether I should go through it because it's so large. The amount of um, good talent that's out there. If you've been on Reddit recently or uh, HLTV, you will have seen this document. What this says to me, actually this maybe this is something we can talk about rather than reading all the names out just because it's, Insane. What this does say to me is that this is not an anomaly. The the fact that there are this many um, top-tier players, people who've won majors, uh, people who've been on number one teams, sitting out there now without a team, without an organization, or benched for months by their organization with no uh, people to pick them up. This doesn't really tell me what a lot of people are complaining about, which is that buyouts are too high. This tells me that the scene has become uh, a little stretched out in the middle. So we have teams in the bottom who are not investing much money and who are not paying many big salaries, and who are hoping for their team to make a large run at a tournament to attract more sponsors and/or sell them off. And then in the middle, there's a bunch of teams who are not making any profit or enough profit to change their roster um, at all, and are kind of frozen there. Uh, or by anyone who is isn't, who is above them, any players who are above their ranking. And then at the top, then you have a few teams who are actually making money with the rosters they've got. What the difference is, the difference between how the scene is right now and how it was say two or three years ago, is that that, that middle group used to have some of the seed money that only the, large, the top group are kind of getting right now with their sponsorships. And so there was a lot more money in those, seed, in those middle teams to actually pick up and keep these uh, free agents recycling. What this says, I think, about CSGO is that some of the investments have stagnated. Uh, some of the growth has really slowed down. And some of these players who've been expecting this to continue are probably going to be benched a lot longer than we think. Uh, I did mention that when we were talking about Cold Zero, if he's been picked up by FaZe, it has kind of put paid to my argument that he may be on the bench a lot longer than I thought. But as I said, it could be that he's actually contributed to his own buyout and I think that will be become uh, more evident in other players who probably at some point will will publicize this fact themselves uh, because it demonstrates how keen they were to join a certain lineup. Uh, anyway, so it'll be interesting to see whether that actually comes into the light of day. So now let's just wrap up the roster news we're going to chat a bit a bit about what's uh, coming up and then talk about the Milwaukee protocol so coming up we have actually uh, three tournaments in the next seven days first up is Blast Moscow this is going to be fun because we've got the return of a Vanguard quite quickly after their successes at uh, at Berlin uh, we've got ENCE, Avanga, Na'Vi, MIBR, NIP, and Forza. So it kind of actually feels like a bit of a different um, blast right now. Some new teams we haven't seen in there. Forza as well. I think a couple of teams had to, had to uh, drop out, which is obviously a massive spanner in the works for blast and their, uh, and their what do you call it, uh, circuit. Uh, but I, personally, I'm looking forward to this more than I have uh, a blast series for a while. I'm sure the crowd in Moscow is going to be awesome. This is for another 250k again, and I'd love to see how Vanga do um, and see if they can ride some of that momentum. This is, of course, uh, the first time we will see KNG playing with MRBR. That is also really exciting. We're going to see Sunny playing with Ants. That's just I'm really excited to see how he's going to be going. Uh, been a long time on the bench for him, almost a year, I think. Can't be that long. No, maybe 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 eight months, nine months. Um, Navi, I don't know if they're going to be playing with Zeus or not. That would that's up in the air, I guess. They're playing in two two days. Uh, this is two two days away, I think. Um, and of course, we're going to see NIP with Plopsky and apparently Get Right too. Uh, he's going to be playing Blast, and I think. One other tournament coming up, maybe. Uh, oh, the V4 Festival. Yeah, so he's not. He hasn't been kicked out straight away. I think the problem, the, or the the reason for this, might be the fact that this lineup hasn't played with Plopsky yet. They're obviously playing with Golden as a stand in the major. They had a disastrous run at the major, but now that they've got their lineup, I think the management are probably going to be saying to themselves, "Look, let's give this particular iteration a go." Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater here. Let's see if Christopher perhaps you know plays better around with Plopski uh, and give it a red-hot go before we actually let the old horse out to pasture. Coming up after that is the Arctic Invitational. This one's going to be a lot of fun, September 14th, because, oh, no, this is in two days. The blast is, uh, when's blast? blast is on September. I'm having to do some mad HLTV while I'm doing this. Oh, yeah, blast is uh, tomorrow, September 13th. Uh, Arctic's on the September 14th. Now, the funnest thing about this, this is only four teams. It's in Helsinki. It's 115 grand. Funnest thing about this is we're going to see Cloud9. We haven't seen them for how long? I don't know. It seems like months. Uh, that's, of course, Mixwell, Dapps, Automatic, Cooster, and TENS. So that's going to be exciting. They're playing against Furia, Crazy, and a team called SJ who went through the Finnish qualifiers. If Cloud9 show up, I'm sure they can surprise Crazy and Furia, both of whom have a shit ton of demos that Cloud9 can watch. Uh, and neither of whom have any uh, demos that Cloud9 uh, have put out in the last, what, month, month and a half since those guys played. So this will be fun to see these guys sort of... It feels like a bit of a debut, even though this lineup has played. I feel like this might be the first time they're on the big stage. That's exciting. Four days later, we're going to get the V4 Future Sports Festival 2019. Now, this has been one of the most exciting uh, tournaments, actually, for me in the past, uh, particularly... Um, when Virtus Pro is played, those guys are actually going to be back in this again. This is for four days. It's for $335,000. Eight teams: Mouse Sports, MIBR, NIP, Tricked, uh, GamerZone, Virtus Pro, and two teams of which I've never heard. They're Polish teams. I oh, no, one's a Polish team, one's a Czech team. Um, and one of the Polish teams, Advocacik, has S. Sparrow, Minio, Morels, uh caper and jed qr so we recognize morels and sb0 or espero uh, but not the others and of course Virtus pro which is fun um gamers i never heard of easy for me i think uh probably made it through some qualifier as well um mouseports look like the clear favorites here although if kng gets fired up we could have a great a great showdown in the grand finals between those two teams so let's talk about this um Milwaukee protocol. So it's long been thought that there's no cure for rabies. Um, But in 2004, this girl went to hospital with symptoms of rabies and a doctor uh, made a decision that actually saved her life. And the deal with rabies is that it basically, wherever you get bitten, the uh, rabies, I don't know, bacteria or whatever they call the uh, infection, spreads through your blood <clears throat> at like I don't know a couple of millimetres a day or something or an hour or something uh, and when it gets to your brain that's when you start exhibiting symptoms but by that time it's kind of too late and you've got maybe two or three days to live and so the closer you get bitten uh, by an animal that's carrying rabies uh, to your brain the, f- the less time you have and this girl had been bitten by a bat and by the time she fronted up at the hospital she was having the symptoms uh, of rabies which include um, essentially not being able to drink Water, which is, I think, why you froth at the mouth. Anyway, I don't know too much about the actual disease, but basically, this doctor said, I'm not going to do what people usually do, which is take care of these people, which is take them out of the hospital or put them into uh, palliative care and, you know, basically surrender themselves to the fact that their relative or loved one is going to die. Um, and forget about trying to cure them. What this guy did was put her into an induced coma with several drugs that induce a coma and keep people in comas like ketamine and stuff Um, in an effort to slow down her neural activity. um, I think I'm getting this right. Basically, the way rabies works is it excites your nervous system so much through your neurons in your brain that they kind of get worn out and basically burn out. They fry themselves. So by shutting these down, uh, by putting her into a coma, he managed to give her body enough time to work up the antibodies for to fight uh, rabies, um, and then took her out of the coma. I think it was about seventeen days later, and she wasn't she wasn't all there. She wasn't great, um, and she had trouble walking and stuff later on. But she actually survived. and I think she's one of the first cases ever or if not the first case ever to have her rabies treated effectively. Now, why this came to mind is because I had dinner tonight with an old listener of the podcast who is going through a bit of a relationship crisis uh, and he was at the point where something had been going on in his relationship for a long time to me it sounded like to me Uh, and kind of like a frog slowly boils in water that's increasing temperature he hadn't realized it she hadn't realized it um, and eventually it had kind of exploded the Milwaukee experiment came to mind and you're probably wondering what the hell am I talking about because he was at a point of triage basically where the relationship had been so corroded and damaged by this creeping uh, dysfunction that to try and backtrack at that point made things worse. And the only real progress he could make was running forward faster um, and shutting down this dysfunction. So the dysfunction between um, him and his wife and... I know he won't mind me talking about this because he's completely anonymous. It, it it came down to communication, or at least that's what that's where the dysfunction was happening. Uh, the problems were rooted, you know, in behavioural. But in the communication, there was a there was a failure there. To continue to communicate like that would be to continue to let this virus spread. And it was in the agitation of the in the communication where the relationship continued to corrode. The more they tried to communicate. In the same way the worse the schism between them got so the only thing to do was cut off that communication and to uh at least in my opinion and he seems to agree with me continue on the path where he had been uh going basically before they met which was all about his own mission uh and what it was that he as a man and a human being Wants to achieve in this world, quite apart from a relationship, a partner, getting back in touch with that. Um, in, in other words, building up antibodies to the stress of this communication, uh, antibodies in the form of self confidence and focus uh, and self knowledge and decision making. Um, and once that foundation was there, then I think, you know, there's not, a, there's not an outside party in this. There's no doctor. There's no third party who's going to come and wake him up. But that's the time when I think it's possible he could come out of the coma and the relationship could start again. Um, <clears throat> I think this sometimes is a common occurrence because oftentimes we have, sometimes, oftentimes, whatever, we have developed ways of talking about our feelings that are actually not very truthful to what our feelings actually are. And a large part of that is due to the illusions that uh, men and women tell each other and men tell men and women tell women. And they're basically social uh, lubricant because if we really said everything that we thought, um, it would be difficult for us to become co-parents, lifelong partners, uh, great mates, uh, in, in, in large part because... A lot of what we want as men and women is actually diametrically opposed so they're very helpful but they have created some dysfunction um, and of course I'm talking about the narratives and myths that we tell each other in terms of what romance is what love is uh, what sex is what commitment is um, and what deep down we actually want or need and so we can find ourselves not having the language in our minds To uh, understand what's actually going wrong in a relationship so instead of um, your girlfriend saying I don't like the fact that you sit around and play video games um, not that not because I don't like to see you enjoying yourself but because I know that you want to um, uh, you know finish your engineering degree with high distinction and when I see you doing that, I can see that you're self-sabotaging yourself and you have a lack of integrity. And I want someone who has integrity, which is fair enough. But in actual fact, that's, that's, a, that's a very deep wounding judgment on someone uh, and it takes a huge amount of self-knowledge for that woman or person or your girlfriend to know exactly that, that is what she's feeling. And so that might come out as something completely different. Um, and that might be uh, why did you leave your socks on the stair I can't deal with someone who's this messy um, you know it comes out in other different ways because she doesn't want to tell herself that she has lost is losing respect for you because that's that could mean the end of the relationship whereas someone leaving socks around and being too messy seems to be that's something much easier to change anyway I'm going down a long garden path here and I could talk about this for hours and hours and maybe we'll do a deep dive on it at some point the reason i brought this up um really doesn't have anything to do with milwaukee protocol i thought that was just an interesting metaphor for what my friend needs to do at this point in time purely because the relationship has corroded to such a degree but i want to play something i've played on this podcast before i think the time is right and this is the kind of thing that you can listen to every six months and find something out of it. Long-time listeners would know it. I hope you enjoy it. This is the Truth CSGO podcast. You can contact me at thetruthcsgo, uh, thetruthofthetruthcsgo.com, music by Beaufort. Uh, and thanks to all the patrons for supporting this. I promise you will have some tears and goals and premium content soon. All right, until next time, enjoy the game.
1: It is not the movement of the clock that produces the newness of life. It is the movement in your mind. gonna hear all kinds of things said about you. Throw it behind you. The enemies that you see today, you will see them no more. No weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper. Every tongue that riseth against you, God will condemn This is my time the matter is everybody in here is going through a change you don't have to be ashamed of yours we are all in the process of transforming to a higher better expression of myself let this be the year that I birth a higher better expression of myself don't let the habits of my past Stop me from this metamorphosis. New year, new me. New year, new me. What separates us is transformation. The possibility of change. The desire to evolve. The passion to get up off the ground and stop eating dirt. I'm I'm tired of doing what I used to do. If I always do what I've always done, I'll always be where I've always been. I'm going to throw it behind me. Somebody in this room that, that nobody would think would be in a church tonight, but you drew them to this place tonight because you want them to be a new me and a new year and have a new attitude and a new mind. The real battleground is in your mind. That's where the fight is. You lay down with it. You get up with it. You go to work with it. You can't digest your food because of it. Smiling in front of people and nobody knows that there's gunfire going off in your head. It's not geographical location it's not debt it's not money it's not haters it's not enemies it's not liars it's not backbiters. that's not the battleground stop wasting your weapons on what people say because it is not what they say about you that matters it is what you say about you that threatens your destiny You will never be defeated by what they say about you. You will be defeated by what you
2: say about you. I dedicate this to you. To the greatness in you and to the dream that you showed up on the planet to produce. And it's simply this. If you want a thing bad enough to go out and fight for it. To work day and night for it. To give up your time, your peace, and your sleep for it. If all that you dream and scheme is about it and life seems useless and worthless without it and if you gladly sweat for it and fret for it and plan for it and lose all your terror of the opposition for it and if you simply go after that thing that you want with all of your capacity strength and sagacity faith hope and confidence and stern pertinacity if neither cold poverty famish or galt, sickness or pain of body and brain can keep you away from the thing that you want if God and grim you besiege and beset it with the help of God you'll get you have greatness in you
1: what I'm trying to tell you beloved is that you can have a new year but it don't mean Jack did if you don't have a new mind I'm telling you that you can buy a new car but if you put the old man in a new car, you still want to have the old experience. I'm telling you that a new house doesn't make a new marriage. I'm talking about a new outfit doesn't make you a new person. And if you think you are magically going to be a new person, I hate to be the bearer of bad news because new life comes from a new mind and a new way of looking at your life. I cannot step into the future and still think in my past. I cannot let the rumors and the stain of what they said about me destroy my opportunity. Slap somebody and tell them I gotta kill it tonight. I gotta destroy it tonight. I gotta get rid of it tonight. I gotta throw it behind me tonight. I can't drag that same old mess into another year.